Hello, Kubernetes community, and welcome back to another PodCuddle podcast. Tyler, it's uh, it's good to be back. Uh, the weather is starting to get uh, right on the borderline of, of sort of ugly, ugly in the in the cold sense. How are things up in your your, your world? Yeah, they're right on the border, right? So uh, we're going to see we're seeing some snow and and probably some rain later, but we're getting to that consistently uh, cold winter weather. Uh, you know, just in time uh, for Thanksgiving. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's. it's uh, I, I think we mentioned on the show. I got a new puppy about six weeks ago, and I'm pretty sure the puppy thinks we live in Seattle because it has done nothing but rain here in North Carolina. So, <laughs> which uh, which makes puppy training fun. But uh, hey, we um we were gonna you know we talked about we were gonna try and do some coverage of what was going on in KubeCon uh, China. That's a little tough just because of the time zones. Um, I know there. You know, you've been watching a little bit. There's been some interesting stuff. I, they tried to make it very regional oriented which i think is great um obviously because uh, the 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 china and asia region um number one they haven't gone there before and it's and it's huge um but we just don't have enough sort of real-time insight into what's going on there so i thought we'd maybe cover some other topics yeah yeah i mean just uh yeah some some high level things to to scope out over there there are some good sessions i saw on uh on you know new versions of Hel- of helm 3 and what they're working on there. Yeah. Uh, but a lot of it is really customer stories. Like you said, very regional focused on it, but they're, they're doing some interesting things. Some um, government customers in China doing uh, some like AI ML work on Kubernetes and, and things like that. So yeah, usually it's good to, uh, you know, wait to see for, you know, it literally just wrapped up, uh, you know, this morning, our time. Um, so, you know, probably see some good coverage of it that we can uh, kind of circle back around on. Yeah, and I think we'll uh, just given the, the the size of the populations and certain things, we'll see some scale stuff that'll be really really interesting over there. So yeah, maybe we'll, we'll try and cover that one next week if folks have some interest. And uh, I, I'm sure the CNCF will start getting videos out pretty quickly. They, they do a very good job of that. Um, so I thought what we would cover this week. Um, one of the things I get a chance to do is travel around a lot, and and two of the people that. Uh, I don't necessarily travel with, but what we we bump into each other a lot at different events. Uh, one of them is a guy named Burr Sutter, who I think people know really well. Uh, if you're around the Java community, or you know, uh, if you've been around Red Hat for a while, you know Burr. Burr is a kind of a world class uh, developer relations person, uh, Java person. Um, the other one's a guy named Christian uh, uh, Christian Posta, who has been on this show before, and uh, you know, tons of experience in the sort of microservices world, written some books about uh, Istio and some other stuff. And one of the things that, that they've been talking about a lot, which is this kind of this this talk that they have, this talk track that they have, that basically says, you know, if, you, if you're a Java developer or you're a, a developer that's kind of gone through frameworks and patterns that have been more monolithic centric, you know, how do you start thinking in terms of how this breaks down, you know, not only just like, oh, okay, how would I move to monolith to microservices, but like, how do you map that to these containers and Kubernetes frameworks when, you know, everything used to sort of just be integrated either into like a, an enterprise, uh, you know, enterprise server or everything was in the framework. And so I thought maybe we would sort of walk through uh, what their their thought process looks like. And it's, and it's useful uh, in a lot of different contexts, but I thought maybe we kind of walk through that because it's a kind of a rich, big topic to talk about. Yeah, yeah, I think I think that's something that's important to, you know, point out is that it's it's 
when you start changing sort of the architecture and topology of application and application development sort of changes, you know, the tooling and, you know, where you interact with which pieces and, and that. So I, I think, uh, yeah, you know, the, the way that they kind of framed it, I think makes, makes a lot of sense uh, when talking about Kubernetes, uh, especially at an organizational level where you may have, like you said, some Java developers that are used to say more monolithic, uh, you know, application servers and frameworks and stuff. And you also maybe have some Node.js developers or Python developers and and all sort of in the same organization, you know, kind of like how you think about it as a whole. Yeah. And and I think, you know, in reality, while we all thought Kubernetes was cool a couple of years ago, you know, it, it was very difficult to a certain extent to, to kind of answer questions for people. And they say, well, like, how, how would I, you know, like I've been doing things a certain way for a long time, maybe 10 years or something. And like, how do I map that? Like, do I just put this gigantic jar war file, you know, a whole bunch of those in one container. Like, does that make sense? Or, you know, what, what, you know, we used to use a service bus for certain things. Like how do we replicate that? Do we still do that? Do we not do that? So um, I thought we'd walk through that. There's a, there's a link in the show notes um, that's called uh, it's a really nice write up uh, by one of Burr's um, colleagues. Uh, it's called why Kubernetes is the new application server. And so that's in the show notes. You can go take a look at this and we're going to kind of reference that throughout the talk. Um, I thought if we start at the beginning, if somebody goes, okay, well, what are these guys talking about? There was kind of three really core points. Um, The first one is kind of this basic explanation of like, well, why should developers care about containers? Um, And that's something we've talked about a lot, just the whole idea of dependency management, consistency of packaging, consistency between dev and, 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 uh, and production environment. So that, that won't be new to anybody who's listened to the show before. Um, the second one, and I think this is the core of this, this talk and this paper and so forth is really just mentally, how do you map all the different things, uh, that are, that are in a monolith or in an enterprise service bus or enterprise, you know, you know, job application server to this sort of new world. Um, and you know, which one of them are mature and and which one of them are are sort of evolving. And then the last one is like you said, you know, we're, we're seeing more and more environments that have, you know, multiple, multiple languages that they want to use, whether that's for mobile or whether that's, you know, new real-time applications, maybe they're interacting with big data. Um, you know, so you introduce Node, you introduce Python, you introduce, you know, Kotlin, a bunch of other stuff. Um, and it's sort of like, okay, is there, is there anything these platforms can do that kind of benefit us in these new emerging world? Yeah. Yeah. I think the, um, you know, understanding how to take advantage of, you know, I think that's the, that's, you know, kind of, again, I think points to the maturity kind of curve of Kubernetes right now where it's not like, hey, I'm trying to even understand the capabilities of this platform or like what it can do. But like, how do I how do I interact with it in a way that makes sense and, and meshes with how I do things today? Yeah. And, and I think I think the other part of that is is people might be asking you know, like, why, why are these guys talking about this? Because, you know, Kubernetes is all about microservices or cloud native or whatever your, your kind of, you know, new buzzword du jour is. And I think what we've, what we've seen um, in reality is that it, it does a very good job with that. If you're building, you know, kind of microservices applications, stateless applications, those types of things. Um, but the reality for a lot of companies who, you know, are trying to figure out how do we do the normal IT thing between balancing new growth, uh, top line investment in the company, trying to drive new revenue, new customers, but then also saying like, okay, how do we, what do we do with this existing investment we have? Is there anything we can do to move forward for that? It, it is kind of important to, to be able to talk to both 
brand new applications, but also what do we do about modernizing existing things or could you lift and shift things like what, like help us frame that don't necessarily tell us it's all one or the other but you know how do we do that because the more things you can put on these highly scalable highly automated environments that can run anywhere uh the the better you tend to get out of ROI cost you can take out of the system that you can reinvest in new developers or or other activities yeah and i think this this kind of ties into our last episode too talking about like platform ops uh, yes. and things like that too. So like when we say, you know, when we say like, oh, these, you know, how do these pieces plug in? And, and, you know, a lot of people want to think like, oh, developers don't care. They don't want to care, whatever. And, and in some cases that may be true, right? Especially, you know, when we talk about some of those, uh, older style Java development, uh, frameworks and, and applications, it's, Hey, I just write the code. I know how to talk to the thing in my app server, but then, you know, someone else takes care of the rest. Well, that someone else is, is the platform, you know, architecture and platform ops people so that you know in their in their case they care how do i take our you know these existing things and map them to you know the kubernetes world so there's there's someone it may you know in smaller org or or different sort of development style they may care uh they may care the developers directly but someone within the org uh, cares about this piece yeah yeah and i think if we you know there, there's a great picture that, that floats around in the devops community that's sort of the uh, devs on one side, a big wall in the middle, and, and ops on the other side, and then some sort of animation that just shows devs throwing things over the wall to ops. And um, you know, I, I think what you're going to get if you if you take a look at some of this stuff is you're going to start to realize, especially like you said, if you're in that sort of ops platform ops world, um, these are these are you know understanding how these things sort of interact with the application is going to start to give you some tools that you're like, oh, okay, cool. I'm, I'm probably still getting some stuff thrown over the wall to me, but, but now I've got some tools to, to give me visibility, to, to be able to validate things, to sort of have some control over performance and, and other stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. So, so let's kind of walk through, um, you know, there, there's, there's about 10 different areas that are, that are covered in this sort of mental uh, map, if you will, of, of how do you go from, you know, previous types of thinking, um, application patterns to this new one. Um, and we'll just sort of break them down for people. We won't go into a lot of detail in all of them just because of the time of the show, but, um, to give folks a sense of that, um, it, it, and it starts and it's sort of the, it's represented as kind of a wheel so that you could start anywhere you want to. But, you know, if we just sort of start at the top of this thing, it starts off with service discovery. Um, and I think, you know, that's something that we've sort of talked about before on the show. Service discovery is something that previously you kind of had to embed um, in your application. And now service discovery is a, a native service that's in Kubernetes. I mean, you can basically say this application is associated with this service, you know, foo or something. And uh, anything else that comes up that has to go find that service can use the native service discovery in Kubernetes. Yeah, yeah. I think that's, you know, that was the, it was originally just something you sort of, some applications wrote in themselves and then stuff like the Netflix uh uh, OSS tooling, you know, made a more, you know, organized frameworky way to do it where now it's abstracted out of the, the application. So then you can just, you know, use that within the platform versus building it yourself. Right. Right. Um, the second one that was on the list was, uh, what was, what they called invocation of the application. Essentially, you know, I want to make this thing go run. What do I do? And obviously that is, that is all the, the jobs, uh, job types and, and sort of deployment types that you have within Kubernetes. So, um, you know, this is another area where, you know, I don't know that enough people take advantage of this, but, but the fact that Kubernetes, um, you know, has some awareness of kind of the pattern that you want your application to take, whether it's, cron or batch or long running or just, you know, best effort or, you know, whatever it might be, um, you know, is another thing that I think this is an area where both platform ops and dev can kind of work closely together to go, okay, 
you know, tell us about your application. Don't just throw it over the wall to us because we now have some tools that are going to, you know, help make resiliency of that application, performance, tagging, security stuff tied into the jobs and deployment functions of Kubernetes. Yeah, and and traditionally where you'd have to say build that in as functions and then uh keep track of, you know, what the jobs are doing and and how to scale it within a within an application server. You know, we can the fact that you can split that out and you can also sort of, you know, program the platform to say, you know, this in, we're going to take this piece of code, you know, split it out and then, you know, run it as its own, you know, a pod and that way the application can invoke that, make that happen. Uh, and then you have the all the scaling capabilities and service discovery and all those things you need uh, from the platform itself without having to you know rewrite all that code. Yep, yep. Um, the other thing I'll note, and we'll, we'll put the we'll put the diagram in the show notes as well as the the link to the thing. Um, you'll see in some of these areas, and, and service discovery being one of them, and we'll, we'll get to some others later on. You'll see some areas that will have listed both like Kubernetes listed, but also say Istio. You'll see the the sort of sailboat icon that's there. And and then what that ultimately means is that, um, you know, there are some basic functionalities that come with Kubernetes, um, you know, like service discovery. And then there are some much more robust um, things that are, that are starting to come with Istio. So, you know, the way to read that is not necessarily that like you can only use one or the other, but that obviously, uh, you know, we're, we're learning more about these patterns and, and, and certain new capabilities that are coming along like an Istio are going to help augment maybe what's in Kubernetes or, or supersede what's in Kubernetes. Yeah, absolutely. Especially once you get into sort of the, uh, you know, uh, microservices type uh, networking pieces like we've talked about before the Istio where it's not specifically native to Kube but that you know going back to the beauty of Kubernetes it being uh, you know it, it does this core function what it does really well and then it's, it's pluggable to plug things in like Istio to provide those capabilities. Right, right. Um, the next one on the list is elasticity which you know we've talked about forever with Kubernetes it's, it's, it's you know I like to say it's sort of got Google or web scale DNA built in. Um, it you know not only does it know how to scale but it knows how to do it um, kind of programmatically or, or, you know, in a way that, that you can have control over whether you describe that up front, like, you know, I always want five pods running or uh, you want to start taking advantage of more advanced stuff like, okay, I'm going to, you know, work with auto scalers or, um, you know, different types of load balancers and, and, and make it a little more dynamic and so forth. So that's, that's something people have known about for a long time. Um, the next one on the list was, was resiliency or resilience. Um, and this is another one of those examples where, you know, we've seen like the Netflix OSS um, framework include things for, for stuff like circuit breakers, um, but you really had to embed that in your code. Um, things like Istio are starting to make that, that, service, uh, that circuit breaker type of resilience and some other types of resilience be platform-specific things that you don't have to embed um, in your code. Uh, your, your application will just sort of take advantage of, of Istio providing that for you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's it's not complete magic where it's like, oh, you don't even have to. You just you know, throw code out there and it all magically does this stuff. And it, you know, you, obviously your code has to understand like, hey, well, what if I, I when I call this, you know, I'm going to try a couple times and if it fails, I know it's broken kind of thing. They don't know. You know, your app doesn't need to know. Oh, a circuit breaker tripped it and now it's you know cut that piece off because the error rate hit something. But it still has to be able to. Uh, you know, recover itself in the, in those instances. So it's not complete magic, but now you're cutting out all writing all that code into your app, though. Right, right, yeah, and and again, a lot of this is not saying um, you are forced to do this if you're you know if you decide, hey, we're going to use containers for packaging and and Kubernetes for for orchestration. But it's saying you know if you want to start going down that path, um, the 
the tools that will help you offload that are, are beginning to become more mature and, and kind of embedded in the Kubernetes platform. Um, the next one is is one that you know, people are going to have different opinions on. Uh, it's around pipelines and sort of CI integration and so forth. Um, you know, this one in, in their talk really kind of talks about, uh, you know, how pipelines have become part of, of the OpenShift platform. Um, some people would argue, well, you know, it's kind of a PaaS-like function or, you know, CI, CD is outside the scope of of Kubernetes. And, and that's fine. I, I think ultimately what it's saying is that, um, you know, somewhere in a, in a platform function, whether your CI is, you know, kind of embedded in your Kubernetes environment or it's, you know, integrates as a, as a downstream provider of, of artifacts, um, you know, it's, this is a, a element that you have to be aware of. And, and obviously, you know, being good at CAI and CD is sort of paramount to, to eventually getting to a point where you can ship software more efficiently, more securely, and, and hopefully more quickly to get more features out there. Yeah, I think I think the the real thing here also is just um, you know containers being pretty lightweight to begin with, and then and then Kubernetes being so uh, declarative and um, easy to integrate with in that aspect. You know, the it's you're going to have you you know you're going to have CI pipelines anyway. Yep. Um, you know, in in any good you know software deployment kind of hygiene, uh, but I think it's just really easy and to do it at the platform level where. You don't have to, you know, constantly be deploying uh, and managing a bunch of, you know, complicated builds for your because it has to stand up VMs or yeah. or do stuff like that. And I think also they, um, you know, we're also starting to see some patterns emerging with CI running on Kubernetes itself with, as like a more like ephemeral thing instead of hey we have a big Jenkins server and we you know we point our our things at it. It's Hey, as long as your tests are there, almost, uh, you know, hey, I can identify this, run, spin up, do all the tests and spin down and sort of provide it to developers as a platform service. Yep. Yeah. 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 Use it. You know, it's CI runs differently in different environments. And, and if you can make it more efficient and, you know, in some cases, take advantage of more compute resources that are available, like that's that's great. Um, so, yeah, that's a, that's definitely an area that, you know, we've seen we've seen it evolve and it continues to evolve because people are trying to to get better at it, make it better. Um, next one on the list was, was authentication. Um, and again, this is something that, you know, for, for a long time has likely been built directly into your application. Um, you know, maybe SSO was a separate module you could break out and, and other stuff, but we are seeing Istio, uh, begin to ramp up, um, you know, around, around security and authentication, uh, you know, inter-process communication, um, you know, communicating with the applications, uh, and so forth. So, you know, again, this is one where there are different ways of doing authentication, but it's something that, you know, it's worth exploring within Istio, you know, how is authentication kind of emerging and, and does it make sense to take advantage of it today or, or maybe something down the road, if it makes more sense, uh, you know, as your application evolves. Yeah. And even things just as simple as, uh, like TLS, uh, encryption and things like that between microservices. You know, again, the developer doesn't even have to think about it. It just happens, right. um, you know, as, as a feature of the service. Right, right. And I'll, one thing I'll call out, um, we, you know, one of the things that we like to try and do from an OpenShift perspective is, is make it easy for people to kind of go try out things and see how they work and what they do. Uh, there are a number of, of brand new uh, Istio and service mesh uh, sort of use cases or tutorials that are out on learn.openshift.com. So for anybody that's that's played around with that, um, you know, totally web browser based way of learning of kind of getting hands on as if you're actually working with the technology. So a whole bunch of stuff around service meshes and and Istio. So definitely go check those out if you're interested. And I know the TLS module just got built out uh, just recently. 
Um, next one, the next, the next one in sort of two, uh, you know, are, are definitely going to be on the platform ops side of things. Um, the first one's going to be logging. Um, you know, and again, this is one of those things that I think people sometimes make a mistake of thinking, well, you know, Kubernetes, you know, it came from, from the web. So those guys must have figured out logging. Like logging's not a native, uh, thing within, within Kubernetes. Like you, you have to build a framework for logging. And, and the nice thing is, um, you know, kind of the logging problem, has been solved for a while, uh, at least, you know, doing it efficiently, you know, retaining it and so forth is different, but, um, you know, we, we see more and more pluggability for, for how to do logging. And it's something we do natively in OpenShift. both, you know, we, we provide, you know, logging through, uh, you know, Kibana and Fluentd and, and other stuff like that, but you can plug other things in, you know, whatever logging framework you like Splunk or, or something else. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, uh, you know, definitely at the platform level, but, um, you're going to, you know, whatever makes sense for your environment. But I think having it sort of consistently available at the platform where, hey, I, I don't have to figure out where I'm going to dump my logs because, you know, if they're 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 in a container, they're going to standard out, you know, right. it's being captured by the by the logging system. Yeah. And that, that's kind of what you want to do. It's like when something spins up, you know, it's going a certain place. You don't have to tell the developers something every single time. You just go, hey, it's it's there. It's it's it'll just be there by default and, and you can go look at your logs. Um, the other one that would sort of fall into platform ops, I think, is, is monitoring. Um, and again, monitoring is another one of those ones that, you know, lots of people have different opinions on it. A, it has to be there. Um, you know, the tools around it, whether it's, uh, you know, things like Prometheus and others that have really been sort of built native for Kubernetes um, are, are evolving and getting better and better. Uh, you know, we see other plugins like a New Relic or Datadog or uh, AppDynamics or whatever beginning to understand the container world and ephemeral world and things going away faster and faster. Uh, but this is another area where, um, to a certain extent, kind of the sidecar pattern with Istio may play a, an additional role that, that can be a helpful thing above and beyond what, say, an OpenShift or just Kubernetes provides for you. Yeah, absolutely. Same thing as we saw the logging sort of some of the things get more um, kind of finite and, and how people are deploying it. Same thing with the monitoring side. I think just having it be available and clean at the platform level, you know, whichever direction you decide to go makes it very easy to to do that for your applications as well. Yeah. Um, the last one that, that sort of fits into this is is tracing. Um, and obviously this is, this is really tracing at the application level. Um, and obviously – you know, a lot of this stuff would sort of be built in when you when you had a monolith. Uh, everything would would be sort of be in one place. It would be easier to trace because you were really just, uh, you know, tracing between um, individual services and components within the application, maybe on one server. As things get more distributed, you put a network in between things, packets get dropped, um, tracing becomes more and more important. And this is where, you know, we've seen things like Jaeger and and other stuff, you know, getting integrated into uh, into Istio and 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 that sidecar pattern and and kind of the proxy intermediary for traffic, um, you know, may become more and more important, um, you know, as, as people are trying to do distributed applications as opposed to what they did in the past. Yeah. Yeah. I think as, you know, we talked about in the the Istio episodes, you know, as, as it's more distributed, there's more places for things to break and, uh, you need to be able to trace, you know, where before it was just a stack trace, maybe inside one application server. Now, if you're touching a whole bunch of different containers, you need to have a way to, to track those requests to be able to troubleshoot. Right. Right. Um, the last one on the list uh, is is sort of API and API management. That, for the most part, is still, you know, it's not a function of Kubernetes. It's not a function of, of say, OpenShift. It tends to be its own kind of platform capability, right? And we've seen, you know, in, in most cases, a lot of these things being almost products or services in and of themselves, whether it's a three scale or um, 
uh, what's the one that, that Google just bought? Uh, you know, there's a lot of API management tools. You know, AWS has API gateways, and other people are building API gateways. Um, so this is something that you're typically going to want in the platform, um, and whether that's kind of outward-facing APIs or integration-facing APIs, um, this tends to be something that that's higher level at the applications and typically some sort of service that's going to run uh, coexistent with uh, with the applications. Yeah, yeah, I think that's um, as as the applications um, you know, as they get more complex. And you know, being able to have that integration piece, no matter where it's it's running, is, is going to be you know key to to operate. I mean, I think I think as we talked about last year, the platform ops, you know, that next level up is you know application ops is is just visibility and integration and automation is is you know if you look even through this whole list, are the things that are making this you know these platforms really popular to be able to build new applications. Right, right. Well, and, and again, you know, if we come back to one of the original things we talked about in the show, which is if you're building brand new applications, the the way maybe you think about about APIs is a little different than if you're, you know, if you're trying to modernize existing applications or if you're trying to, you know, kind of bridge between, say, a new mobile application, but it has to go back and touch, I don't know, maybe it's a banking application, it has to go back and touch something, a service that lives on the mainframe. Um, you know what? What you think about APIs in that case is going to be different. It's going to be much more of an integration thing than, say, a, an outbound-facing API thing. So yeah, absolutely. Well, cool. Listen, um, you know, we, we've been talking about this for a while. Um, I know we we threw a lot of things at people, and and it would be much better if this was a a visual medium than an audio medium. But definitely, you know, maybe as you're you're taking a look at this, um, you know, go back, uh, look at the 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 blog post that gets written, the visual. The visual I think is very helpful to kind of um, you know, circular visual of, of what all these things do. And ultimately what this is, is, is not trying to tell you that, you know, you have to get rid of all your, your monoliths, but it's definitely something that as you're talking to your teams, it's, it's worth kind of going, Hey, let's, let's mentally walk through this because I think the, the more you leave developers kind of without sort of patterns of, of what things are doing, the more they're going to go, okay, if there's no patterns for it, it must not be something I want to waste my time with. And if you start to show them, hey, this is where platform ops comes into play. This is where DevOps comes into play. This is how we think about existing or versus new applications. Just having a framework for discussion, whether you agree with all of it or not, is is definitely uh, something that can be very helpful. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 definitely a, a good map as a sort of starting point to understand kind of this conversation. Yep. Yeah. Well, listen, man, I think with that, we're going to wrap it up. Um, folks, as always, thank you for listening. Um, you know, send in questions. We've been getting a ton of questions from people. We're trying to, to answer as many as we can, you know, via email. Some will answer on the show if they're if they're shorter and they make sense. Um, and also, if you get a chance, you know, rate the show, give us some feedback, uh, you know, through whatever, whatever mechanism you use for listening to the show. So with that, uh, Tyler, I think we're going to wrap it up. We will be back. Um, Next week, we'll have to figure out what we do around Thanksgiving. We'll try and get something out for folks that uh, maybe need a show to, to get them away from uh, maybe some family members at Thanksgiving. But uh, we will uh, we'll get some shows out, and then we'll definitely be going out to uh, KubeCon, and we'll get a bunch of interviews out there. So thanks for listening, folks, and we'll talk to you next week. <laughs>